Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about joy today. How about that? How many of you are given to depression? I only saw two hands. That how many of you are given to depression? That is not rhetorical. Yeah, it's, it's our common lot. I think everybody should be raising their hand. There are times, obviously, when you're unhappy, uh, depressed, anxious, wondering, uh, and sometimes you know why, sometimes you don't know why. Sometimes you're contemplating the past, and it gets you depressed. Some sin you've committed in the past, some, something you've done. Some words you said at the, uh, at the company party. <laughs> or sometimes it's looking ahead. The future is, is a more awful, depressing, anxious, anxiety-inducing sort of thought than the past. You know, some people uh, fear the future. And, and it's very difficult for them to look ahead. Uh, you know, there sometimes, sometimes there's explanations. Sometimes you can pinpoint it. Sometimes you can't. Um, but certainly, living life in a fallen world, there is a lot of there's sadness, right? There's sadness, and that sadness can overwhelm our hearts at points, and we get depressed. And I don't think there is anybody who hasn't experienced that at some point in their lives, some form of depression. And that's sin. It may be the common lot of mankind, but it is also sin. Okay? Um, we don't like to say that these days because depression it has a certain cachet, right? Sadness, depression, moping, it, it has a certain cachet. You, you, you can sort of enter into your victim status by being Eeyore and by being depressed all the time, right? And so it, it plays well. And I've been reading a book, and I shared this with, I shared parts of this with the, uh, with the breakfast on breakfast with the pastor. On Thursday, I'm reading a book by Martin Lloyd Jones called "Spiritual Depression." It's case, it's causes and it's cure. And the good thing about the book is he's like, yeah, this is common. We all go through depression. Then he's like, stop doing that. By faith. Put your trust in the Lord, right? And he goes through all the reasons why it's sin, why we should fight it, that we can have freedom from it. 
that there is um, that it is the Christian duty to fight against depression. And I'm not talking about medical conditions. There are medical conditions that affect your body. That's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes you need to take medicine for that manifestation of things. We're talking about spiritual depression. We're talking about the common weight of bearing life in a fallen world, okay? And common fears and common difficulties. So I, I wanted to talk about that, and the, the, the name of this class, if I, um, if I have to have one, is the discipline of joy. It's a discipline. It's not just something you wait for and wake up to and, you know, all your feelings are in line and you're great and, and happy and you can hear the birds chirping and the sun is shining and everything's good. No, you actually have to work for the kind of joy that is commanded of us in Scripture. It's weird that joy is commanded. Rejoice in the Lord always is a command from the Holy Spirit to each one of us. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's Philippians 4.4. 4. We could go through the book of Ecclesiastes and we could feel the weight of life, right? And, and all the things he says, it's better to go to the house of mourning to the, than to go to the house of feasting. And there's like this, this weightiness to life. Um, it's cyclical, right? That first chapter of Ecclesiastes where he's like, it rains, the rain goes out to the sea, the sea evaporates, it rains again. I mean, everything in life is just this, we're like stuck in this cycle. We're happy, something happens, we're sad. We, we, we repent or we get depressed, one or the other, and it starts the cycle again. Um, but there should be joy in the Christian life. Some of you have to work at that harder than others. Some of you have been dealt harder blows by God and therefore have to work harder at this. Right? The discipline of God has been heavy upon you. And so you have to work very hard to have a godly view of his providence, of the work that he's done in your life, of the weight and discipline he's bringing. You have to remind yourself continually that, that the Lord disciplines the one he, he loves and he does it for our good because the way it feels, it doesn't, it's not pleasant, right? It's not, it doesn't lead to joy. Like that, oh great, you know, <clears throat> oh great, another car wreck. So, um, what is joy? Uh, very quickly, joy is not um, giddiness. Joy is not the feeling you get when you go to an amusement park and go down the first hill with your hands in the air and the wind blowing through your, you know, uh, hair and all this stuff. Um, it is it is something that is um, much deeper than that. 
right? It is, it is a godliness of focus on the promises of God, right? It is focusing on what God has promised to you and believing those things deeply in the core of your being. And those promises are, are good. Are they great? Are they motivating? Are they wonderful? Now, one of the things that you, you never know joy, um, and Lloyd-Jones make this, makes this point in this book, Spiritual Depression. And these, any Lloyd-Jones you read are not, were not written as books. They were sermons that were transcribed into books. So this is a series of sermons, and actually they're all recorded from the mid-50s, and you can find them online for free, these sermons. The quality of a few of them is, you know, 1950s sort of recording. But he says, what was I saying? Oh, man. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's not what I was saying, but um, it was leading to this. Um, he says somewhere that, honestly, you can't know joy until you come to terms with the fact that you're a wretched sinner, a terrible sinner, because then the promises of God actually mean something to you, right? If you don't believe you're a sinner, then the promises of God are kind of like, you know, salvation, I mean, I'm good. But if you believe and know that you're a wretched sinner, that you sin all the time, that you struggle with the flesh, the world, the devil, that temptations afflict you, well, then the promises of God become glorious, right? The, just the promise to be in his presence, free from sin, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, should then like, bam, make you joyful, right? Make you completely joyful to think that that there is a way to be justified before a holy God. And you are unholy. But you've been made holy. You know, then the joy comes. But if, if you don't have that, that um, you know, so only Calvinists can really be joyful. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Which isn't our reputation, unfortunately. It should be our reputation because the promises of God mean so much to us, knowing the depth of our own depravity. Yes. Okay. Yes. This is all very, very difficult. Yeah. I know there is joy in heaven. I mean, this is a veil of tears. There is struggle. We have suffering. That that does mark this world. But but the the joy of heaven for a justified Christian should spill back from the life to come and from uh, the presence of God into this life. And we all know that. I mean, what we should all do is, is stop and go read Luther's commentary on Galatians, right? Because that's what this is about. 
It's about joy and justification, right? Which is, you know, uh, Luther's main, I mean, he did a lot of things, but that's, that's one of the most helpful things that he focused on is that justification and that joy. And so, um, let me, uh, let me, let me share a few things from this that Martin Lloyd-Jones says that I think are helpful. In the preface, and I, again, shared this at breakfast, but, um, I think it's helpful. He says, unhappy Christians are, to say the least, a poor recommendation for the Christian faith. And there can be little doubt but that the exuberant joy of the early Christians was one of the most potent factors in the spread of Christianity. Just joy. Simple joy. Joy, rejoicing in the Lord, was one of the powers they had. Right? And so, you know, you may, you may struggle to express your faith to people. But your faith will be expressed if you're joyful in the Lord around other people, right? If you have that, then someone might inquire and say, why this joy? You know, and why this joy after, after you just suffered this that not many people have suffered? How, how in the world can you be joyful at that? Well, it's because you have this larger perspective, Right? He also says a depressed Christian is a contradiction in terms. And yet, it is possible for, a, for each of us to be in that state, right? It's common. We are in that state often. The depressed Christian, obviously, again, he says, is a very poor recommendation for the gospel. A very poor recommendation for the gospel. There should be joy. And joy, again, is not spontaneous feelings. Um, joy is, is rightly called a discipline. It must be pursued with diligence and intentionality because of the weight of sin, because of the weight of living in a fallen world, because of the accusations of the devil. All those things work against joy, and that's why it's a fight. And any fight you're in, you're only going to win it if you are disciplined, right? You wouldn't want to go into a 12-round bout having not trained for the fight. You would die in the first round of fatigue, right? And so there has to be this discipline. We're in a fight. The devil is accusing you every day, isn't he? He's telling you, you wretched sinner, you deserve hell and you're going to hell. And he accuses you. You don't believe. You haven't put your faith in Jesus. He accuses you in these ways and steals your joy. Right? That joy in the justification of God, that joy in all those promises. How many times have you given yourself to that habitual sin again and the devil comes along and says to you, you know, no Christian would would fall to that sin again. And your joy is gone. 
And so all of this happens, and just, just the, the, um, the violence of the world, the sin of the world, we look at it, and it's depressing. Watch the news if you want to be depressed. It's, the, it's a demonstration of the depravity of man, right? The one thing we don't have to prove in the Christian world and the Christian worldview is that men are sinners. If anybody needs to be convinced of that, they just need to open their eyes, because somehow they've, they've absolutely closed them to everything going around them. Okay, so, so that's why pursuing joy is a discipline. Deuteronomy 28, 47 to 48 says this. Deuteronomy. Okay, these are Moses' directions to Israel. Second law, the second statement. He is, this is, is one long sermon of Moses, right? Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies when the Lord will send, which the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in um, uh, what's that? I can't read my own handwriting, so I guess I'll have to open up to the passage. <laughs> it happens. It happens. 28, 47, and 48. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in the lack of all things, and he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Because you didn't serve him with joy and gladness in your heart. I mean, it's Old Testament, so we don't really have to take it seriously. You know, it doesn't apply. No. No, God wants to see us joyful in him. Right? So what do you take joy in? I mean, there's a lot of things to take joy in in this life. There are a lot of things um, that make us joyful. Um, happily obedient children makes me happy. Right? Isn't it just the, one of the best things? Um, the celebration of of the incarnation of the Lord in Christmas and the giving of gifts. It's wonderful, right? Those traditions that we have. Really, um, really wonderful. And, you know, the um, successes in life, promotions, being acknowledged for your hard work, that sort of thing, fills your heart with joy, right? Some, um, some more than others. You know, being around your family fills your heart with joy. And yet, all those, those things I just mentioned are fleeting compared to the joy that we're talking about here. Rejoice in the Lord, Right? Finding your joy in God himself, finding your joy in his character, finding your joy in the works that he's done on your behalf, 
placing your joy right there, right? I mean, we have tons of what, what I mean, they're profound, but I'm going to call them superficial because I'm contrasting them to like joy in the Lord. But we have tons of superficial joys, don't we? And we want those joys every day or we kind of get depressed, right? Some of us like to sit down to a big cut of meat and that gives us joy. Some of us, you know, it's, it's our, our vehicle. We just, we love cars, <laughs> you know. Have kids and you won't love cars anymore. They are the reason we can't have good things. Um, and it's good. It's, it, it, it's good. It's good for those things to be handed over to the Lord, right? You know, get white carpeting in your house and then have somebody spill a glass of wine and then it's the Lord's. <laughs> and that's good. Then you can't take joy in, in your carpet anymore. And so, we, we, I mean, we want this joy, but we, all, we are seeking it through superficial means. Again, this is Ecclesiastes. He, he sought for joy everywhere, didn't he? I mean, he went after intellectual pursuits. He went after the, the pleasures of the flesh. He went after land and property. He went after, you know, um, wives. And yet, at the end of the day, he calls them vapor. That's how substantive they are. They're vapor. I mean, um, you can see vapor, but the minute you walk toward a fog or something like that, it clears away from you. I mean, it's so there and not there. It's just... So superficial, but the joy of the Lord, true joy, lasting joy, the joy that marks the presence of God that is eternal and that we will enjoy eternally, that joy is and must be a part of our lives here and now. And, and, and this is a good time of the year to think about joy. Right, the joy of the incarnation, God with us, light entering into the darkness of this world and casting out that darkness. That's why we love this time. Right? It's not, it, it is a substantive joy. It's not a manufactured joy. It's not a drugged joy. It's true joy. Um, what are some things that work against your joy? Fear. Fear of the future. Fear of things happening to you or to your loved ones. Fear of losses. Fear of rejection. Huge things. Fear. Fear comes in and dashes our joy. What are other things? Stress. Stress, anxiety, put those in the same category, um, sort of. Yeah, that just that um, those things steal our joy because our mind sort of gets, when, when we're anxious or stressed, 
we're fixated on one thought that we can't get out of our head. At least that's how it is with me. It's like I'll just chew and chew and chew and chew and chew on the same thing and like what's the solution? I don't see any solutions here, you know? Or at least I don't see any solutions where I don't have to like kill my pride. Um, and so that militates against our joy. What are other things that you, that you struggle with that pride? Pride will kill your joy. Absolutely. Pride will make you just go from place to place despising people rather than entering into their joy. You will reject their joy as superficial and and I'm not gonna this and <laughs> yeah. Um, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. The proud person can't do that. Yeah. What's that? Lack of discipline. Absolutely, a lack of discipline. Um, you know, um, certainly, if if joy is a discipline, to lack the discipline of Reminding yourselves of all the promises of God is going to lead to uh, joylessness or anger, the opposite, um, pride, whatever it may be. What is the opposite of joy? Depression? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be all the things we talk about. You had something, Zandy. Guilt, yeah. Huge one. Guilt. Uh, some people will come to Christ, they'll rejoice in the forgiveness of sins, but they'll, they'll, in the back of their minds, they're like, but there's that one big sin I committed, and I just can't get it out of my head. Could Jesus have died for that sin? And they just, they, they can't, they can't believe He can, they can't figure it out, they can't come to terms with it, even though the, we have the example of David. We have the example of the Apostle Paul who was drawing the disciples of Christ into death, right? And he was a, he was a blasphemer and he was, you know... And we have so many examples um, of sinners who, who sinned in what we would call very intense ways who knew the forgiveness of the Lord. What else? Wants and desires. So that would be discontentment, maybe. Yeah, discontentment leads to a lack of joy, and that's because you're putting your joy in things other than the Lord. You have the Lord. You know, whom have I in heaven and on earth? You know, you you have the Lord. And so, if you lack, you know, if you lack a, a two-story home and a hot tub, and that really just has got you frosted, <laughs> you 
Oh, we do it all the time, right? Well, then, then uh, perhaps you're, you're trying to find joy in the superficial things and not in the Lord. Okay? What else? This is, get, this is a long list. You guys are really, really joyless. <laughs> yeah. Disease, pain, physical illness, the decay of the body, the the um, sometimes when we when when we're young we take pride in our bodies, and then God takes away our health, and we're like Jonah with that little tree, that little shade, you know, um, that God takes away, and He just He's like. I do have reason to be, what does he say, angry unto death? (laughs) Oh, whoa. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Grumbling and complaining. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a manifestation of our pride and our joylessness, I think, is is grumbling and complaining. Not uh not being thankful. Yeah. Thankfulness and joy seem to be tied together often in scripture. Right? It's hard to it's hard to express your thanksgivings with a bitter heart. You just stop doing it. You know, you, you, you feel entitled to not give thanks when you're uh, at that point. What else? Busyness. The tyranny of the urgent. No time to stop and meditate on the glories of God and the, the wonders of your future and all the ways God has blessed you because you just got to get the next thing done. Absolutely. Yeah, you got to stop and wait on the Lord. That's good. Yeah, okay. Living your life, um, wanting to go back to high school, which does not appeal to me. But there are people to whom that does appeal because of the closeness of the friendships they had, because of the intensity of the experiences, because of the lack of responsibility. And responsibility, it hurts at points, right? Um, but responsibility is good. It's sanctifying. Get married, have kids. Um, it's good for you. And uh, yeah, so that n- nostalgia can militate against our joy because it leads to discontentment because we're not there anymore. Yeah, that's good. This is a good list. Yeah. How long will we go? Okay. For, for example... Okay. Being sinned against. 
dwelling, uh, being uh, an unforgiving spirit will kill your joy. And I've been thinking about that this week in regard to, you know, some of, some of the relationships that I've had in the past um, with people I worked with. And the, con- the conviction I came to is, boy, I really have to deal with these things because this has lodged in my heart way too long. You know, and it's not good. Not that that means you um, brush other people's sins under the rugs, but we are called to forgive. And we can be joyful in forgiveness, but if we are unwilling to forgive, man, that bitterness just works right through the heart and into the mind. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Here's some verses on joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Who saw the star? The shepherds. The magi. The one, who, the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But along come the cares of the world, and it's choked out. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He sees the king... So, to to work the parable out, you see the kingdom of heaven, you're in the kingdom of heaven, and your joy is placed there, you're a citizen of Zion, right? You're in that kingdom, and your joy should be all there. You should do whatever you can in order to stay there and be there. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, is God joyful? Is God joyful and how is God joyful? It's a hard question to answer. Right. Yeah, that's a good that's a good verse. Um, um, certainly, um, the joy of the Father is expressed toward the Son. Right when Jesus is doing the work of his father, you know, and they, the, the, the expression of love that they have, the oneness that they have in essence, it's all a part of that joy. Um, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You can hear that that's, that's an expression of joy that the father has in his own son. 
and they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples, right? When they see the, the risen Lord. Um, fear and joy together. Not understanding and yet understanding. Like that wonderful contradiction there. Or paradox. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom was sown on the rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and then it's choked out. Um, Angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. John 15, 11, these things, this is Jesus speaking to the apostles, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. There's the joy of God, right? My joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Ouch. Right? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. And I think that's that understanding of sin, right? We do grieve our sin when we come alive in the Spirit. We do grieve our sin and we become overwhelmed by it. And yet God, by His grace, when we understand the sacrifice of Christ, that that was the only way for our sins to be dealt with, and it's been done, it's finished, well, then that grief turns into joy, right? And so um, that context of our, even our sinfulness. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come, but when she gives birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Is that true, women? It is true. Yeah, sure. That's true. Obeying God's command to be fruitful and multiply. Okay. Um, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Now think of that. The, 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 the discipline of prayer will lead you to joy. We have to pray that God would supply us with joy. Right? That's part of this discipline in pursuing joy. We want it to happen to us because of external circumstances lining up just the way we want. Right? Our team wins the national championship. Right? We get a new car. We, you know, whatever it may be. Right? It's different for all of us. Um, you know, and, and yet we want this inward joy. We want the joy to come by the work of the Spirit in us. And so we need to discipline ourselves to pray and ask God for joy. Pray and ask the Lord that he would fill your heart with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Scripture says. They were continually filled with joy. The apostles, right? That's Acts, that's Acts, um, what is it? 
Where did it go? Uh, that's in Romans. That's at the end of, no. Man. Acts 13. Right? And, and the disciples, according to Paul's report, did not have such an easy life. Right? I mean, we would tremble to have to have led the life that the Apostle Paul did with the shipwrecks and the stonings and the imprisonments and, and the rejection by his own people and just all of the uh, carrying of the responsibility of the churches and all these things. And then finally, death, martyrdom. Not exactly what we would lay out as the course to joy in the Lord. And yet here they are, joyful as they go along, because they, in even being joyful that they were considered worthy to suffer for his name. And so maybe the reason that we're so depressed is we have for so long sought for our joy in things outside the Lord and the externals about us. And we haven't asked God to fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit and with this joy that is is lasting, is a foretaste of heaven, is, is based upon his character and his promises that flow out of his character, that he is gracious to you, that he will forgive your sins, that he has removed them from his, as far as east as from west, that he is a father, right, that he will protect you, that he, he, he knows you, that he will guide you, that he is that Jesus is going before you to prepare a place for you to live eternally, right? All of these glorious promises that somehow we forget about and think that, no, maybe Alexis would make me happy. Oh, man, it's so tragic. But we are that pathetic, okay? I mean, not a, maybe, maybe a new banjo, not a Lexus. Maybe a 250-member church. But I guarantee you that probably would not make me happy. I think it would. I think it would, but it would be responsibility. And then I would panic. And then I would get depressed. And I would have to fight for my joy, right? Disc, you know, that, all of that. Anyway, maybe that's a good place to end. I wanted to share more of the Lloyd-Jones with you, read a few excerpts from it, but we don't have time. We're, we're out of time. But, but listen, you know, just uh, either get this book and read it. It's, it's been helpful to me just to diagnose myself first half of it is just figuring out what causes us to be depressed. And he's, you know, this was 80 years ago. He's not, it's not going to be pop psychology. And, it's, and it was written 10 years after London had been besieged by bombs. So everybody's trying to come to terms with life after the war when a third of the students at Cambridge died and you know, I mean, just huge, huge things. And life seems miserable. And they're trying to come, and he's helping his people come to terms with it. And um, though we don't live in that sort of 
intensity of life at this point right now by God's grace. Uh, we could. Um, but strangely, it seems like there's a lot of spiritual depression in our lives. You know, and I want us to grow. I want myself to grow in the joy I have in the Lord. And it is sin for me not to pursue this and to just stew in my own juices. And so let's work at this and let's pray for one another that God would, would be gracious to us and restore to us the joy of our salvation. So let's pray for that now. Father, we, we are grateful for your glory that you've allowed us to see. We are grateful for your power that has led to our salvation. Father, forgive us for putting our minds so much on this world and finding your promises, which are stupendous and glorious and everlasting, to be sort of too thin. Forgive us for that sin. Forgive us for our our lack of joy. I pray that we would work on this, that, that we would be a good recommendation for the gospel because we're hanging on all of your promises and we're putting all of our joy and all of our happiness in what you have said to us and what future you have made for us and for what you are doing even this day. Father, as we go into worship, I pray that our hearts would be filled with that joy as we meditate on your word, on your promises, on your glory. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.